Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. When I met Brother David Stendelrost, he and his Benedictine brothers were living at a lighthouse in Maine, keeping silence for months on end. I was amazed that he would break his silence to come speak to a small group of us in the religion department at Middlebury College, a talk about which he called the monk in all of us. I remember being possessed by that when Harry met Sally feeling that I wanted what he was having. We live in a noisy world. When it's not noisy, we make it noisy, turning on the TV, NPR, a podcast, music, a movie. When the house is too quiet, we head out to the noisy streets and to whatever noisy place they might take us. We associate noise with sociability, and that's all good. We're meant for human contact. But we're also meant for silence for the kind of quiet in which questions and answers become clearer, the kind of quiet that soothes us and lets us rest, the kind of quiet in which wisdom and healing can grow. Dr. Nancy Lynn Westfield, a professor at Drew Theological School, tells a great story from the time historian and activist Dr. Vincent Harding was teaching there. Dr. Harding would ask the class if there were any questions about the readings he had assigned. And several hands would fly up and Dr. Harding would take the first question. The question would hang in the air while Dr. Harding sat thinking in silence. After a few moments, he would close his eyes and just sit there, holding the silence. One minute would pass, two minutes, sometimes five minutes, ten minutes. Dr. Nancy Westfield writes, the first time I witnessed this, I thought he had fallen asleep. But in time, Dr. Harding would emerge from the silence and respond to the student's question. By mid-semester, he was answering about two questions per class. And by the end of the semester, he would ponder a question for 30 or 40 minutes before responding. At first, Dr. Westfield continues, students would be restless while Dr. Harding was in silence. After three or four sessions, though, there was a shift. During the silence, students would still themselves. That fidgetiness was replaced with an air of expectation and wonder. The empty silence was replaced with a full silence. 
And when at last the silence was broken by Dr. Harding's words, students were focused and attentive, waiting for the engagement. Dr. Nancy Westfield concludes, these silences added a dimension to the classes which was a kind of spiritual intangible, tapping into the meditative spiritual power that is inextricably linked to intellectual acumen. Dr. Vincent Harding's approach disrupts the stale caricatures uh, of teachers as expert or the sage of the stage for a more authentic experience of wisdom. When we free ourselves from the illusion of being the fount of information who has to rush to answer each question upon demand, the ecology of the classroom shifts to a place of warmth and liberation. As many of you know, the Grand Canyon has been one of Kem's and my great teachers. Each time we arrive at the rim for our annual pilgrimage, Kem has me close my eyes and leads me to the edge, no peeking. And when she says, open your eyes, I am always, always completely overcome by the beauty and the vastness of that extraordinary landscape, but also by the silence. Later, heading down the trail just after midnight to avoid the worst of the relentless desert heat, the only sound is our boot soles hitting the dust and the faint creaking of our packs and perhaps a little dusty wind stirred up from far below. In that huge silence, my myriad disparate thoughts settle. It is almost a physical sensation. And from underneath all the busyness, a sensation surfaces of being exuberantly alive and exquisitely peaceful. In the silence, we can just be. There's a long history of walking in silence for personal awakening as well as for social justice. Buddhist teacher Jack Kornfield writes, peace walks date from the time of the Buddha and in modern times inspired by Mahatma Gandhi and Dr. King and Cambodian elder Maha Gosananda, peace walks have come to hold a special power. Peace walks are a practice of steady, loving presence, slow, beautiful, and dignified without flags, placards, or slogans. Instead of shouting in the name of peace, peace is demonstrated by the walk. The silent walkers embody the reality of respect and peaceful coexistence. They offer calm, confidence, and a spirit of mindful empathy. They create community among disparate people, uplift spirits, and empower participants to act for peace. In the 1970s, student protests against the military dictatorship in Thailand reached a dangerous peak. Jack Kornfield was a Buddhist monk there then. He writes, I remember how one morning a long line of Buddhist monks and nuns came and stood peacefully between the barricades of students and the military police. Bangkok's biggest road had been blocked for weeks. 
Government shootings had taken the lives of students, and the conflict was on the verge of spiraling further out of control. Barefoot and silent, the line of forest monks and nuns had walked with their abbot for miles and came to stand meditatively in the center of the battlefield, bringing their peaceful hearts to cool the danger. After standing for hours, they withdrew in silence. But it was enough. Their powerful, compassionate presence turned the tide. Negotiations between the leaders resumed, and the resolution of the students' demands began. Franciscan friar, Father Richard Rohr, takes a deep bow to this strategy. At this point in time in our society, people who are interested in issues of peace and justice surely recognize how vocabulary, conversation, and communication have reached a very low point. It feels like the only way through is a reappreciation for this seemingly harmless, wonderful thing called silence. There is something to be said for learning to live our lives, not in reaction to everything unfolding and spinning all around us, but from our own center, to cultivate within ourselves a reference point, a still point from which we can bud and flower and fruit. Meditation is a highway to that place. My beloved teacher, the Dutch Catholic priest, Father Henry J.M. Nouwen, decried what he called the inundation of a torrent of words and exhorted his students to the spiritual practice of silence. Silence, he said, guards the fire, that inner fire of the Holy Spirit within us. Father Nouwen used three stories from the Desert Fathers in Egypt to illustrate the power of silence. First, Abbot Macarius, giving the benediction at the close of the service in Satan, said to the congregation, Brethren, fly. Afterwards, one of the elders asked him, How can we fly farther than this, seeing we are here in the desert? And Abbot Macarius put his finger on his mouth and said, Fly from this. In other words, stop speaking and turn within. Second, when Arsenius, the Roman educator who exchanged his status and wealth for the solitude of the desert, prayed, Lord, lead me into the way of salvation, he heard a voice saying, be silent. Later, Arsenius said, I have often repented of having spoken, but never of having remained silent. And a third story from the Desert Fathers. An archbishop came to the desert to visit Abba Pombo, but Abba Pombo did not want to speak to him. The other brothers urged him to say something, but he replied, if the archbishop is not edified by my silence, he will not be edified by my speech. The psalmist wrote that there is a time for every purpose under heaven time to keep silence, and a time to speak. 
My Episcopal colleague, Reverend Becca Stevens, tells a wonderful story of a young woman who lives at Thistle Farms in Nashville, the residence Becca founded to heal, empower, and employ women who have survived sexual abuse, trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. This woman was traveling to Texas with Becca to tell her story, and on the plane, her first time on a plane, she began to get nervous, not about flying, but about her talk. She wrote and rewrote it, and that night at the hotel, she skipped dinner and wrote it again. Becca read three or four versions. The next morning, the woman told her, I wrote it again, and I want you to hear it. And Becca said, dear God, <laughs> you're amazing. It's beautiful. It's perfect. But the woman became more and more nervous. When they arrived for the speech, Becca stood to introduce the woman and told the audience, I think it will go much better for her and for us if we just go ahead, cut to the chase, and give her a standing ovation right now. <laughs> the woman stood up, and then everyone stood up, stood with her, and began to applaud. And the woman left, and everyone was crying. And as Reverend Becca Stevens describes it, there was a big love fest without words. And in the end, the woman's words were so much less important than her witness standing up there saying with her presence, I survived, and you can too. Beloved spiritual companions, we were meant for this noisy world, but also for silence. May we know the silence of Dr. Harding's classroom, the silence of the Grand Canyon, the silence of the Egyptian desert, the silence of standing meditatively in the center of the battlefield, bringing our peaceful hearts to cool the danger. Let us seek to replace empty silence with full silence. May we know its freedom and power, a love fest without words. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.